Hello and welcome Nationals fans to the Dogcast, where we would like to confirm our pro-president's race and anti-sausage race stance. I'm your host Blake Finney and I reckon I could have played better first base than Michael A. Taylor. <laughs> Joining me this week, we welcome back our former site expert and current Call to the Pen contributor, Drew Douglas. How are you doing, Drew? I'm doing well. It's good to be back on with you, Blake. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and we got you on after a win, thankfully. Oh, yeah. And those have been hard to come by lately, so I'm glad they got it done today. <laughs> uh, so Drew's on the firstly talk about the Brewer series. Uh, obviously, they dropped the first two games, kind of particularly in heartbreaking fashion on Tuesday, losing the four-run lead. Uh, but at least they came back to win it today on Wednesday. Uh, so did you have a person that particularly stood out for you this series? Um, I think it's got to be Tanner Roark. I mean, with the way he's pitched this year and then the way he pitched today, he finally looked like the guy from 2016. I mean, last year he struggled a little bit, especially in the first half. And then this year he was just awful for the entire first half. But to see him come back and pitch like that today, I think if the Nationals are going to come back and win the division, he's a guy that they need. And it was just very encouraging to watch him pitch like that today. Yeah, absolutely. Um it was bizarre that it came from Tanaroa. Kind of Scherz has been a bit iffy. Even Helixson, who's been quite reliable, has been giving up a few runs. So for this to come out of nowhere, and probably in the game coming into the series, me and Brian talked about it last time, where it was probably the matchup that favoured the Nationals the least as well. Right, yeah. When I was looking at it, just like you were before the series, I thought, all right, they got Helixson, they got, um, who pitched game one, Geo. Yeah, yeah. And so I mean, I figured, yeah, Roark with the way he's been pitching, probably today was going to be a loss. But yeah, it's great to see him go out and finally pitch like he's capable. Yeah, uh, and I found um, Byron Kerr from Masson actually put out a really interesting article of Roark working with Kinstar on some mechanics. Uh, I think it was more about uh, keeping him grounded and generating more power from his lower half. And Derek Lilliquist also moved him on the rubber and. Clearly, we've seen the results today, eight innings, three hits, one walk, 11 strikeouts, and he just looked in complete control. The only, the one thing um, that would have been nice is for him to finish it off, but 106 pitches, you can kind of understand them taking him out. Right, and I mean, the way he's been pitching, I'll take eight innings out of him. I'd take eight innings out of any starter at this point, but yeah, especially Roark. Well, lately, he's been pitching eight innings and giving up like seven runs. Right, yeah, so it's... <laughs> Definitely great to see him go out there. And I mean, it's only one start, so you don't want to read too much into it. But with that article from Kerr, like you mentioned, if he was out there working with Kinsler and Lilliquist and they said he looked really good and he felt really good, and then to see the results in that start, you're hoping that's the start of a great second half from him. Yeah. And we saw I think we saw it a little bit in the Mets game before the before the break. But yeah, they don't they don't even need him to be eight innings shutout. They just need him six innings, two, three runs like they've seen for him most of his career right yeah just keep him in the game and in a position to win i think they would take that any day from him mm. uh one other encouraging sign that i take from the series is ryan zimman uh his performance on tuesday three for five uh hitting the ball hard and he he hit it hard on monday as well uh what did you make of ryan zimman coming back and kind of touch on the playing time as well I mean, I think it's definitely good to have him back. I know his roster spot is a bit controversial, especially with the way Adams has been playing and Reynolds has shown he can play. But, I mean, Zim has always been the guy with the Nats. I know he's 33 now, but he was the starting first baseman in the All-Star game last year. Um, he looked a little iffy in his first game back, but, I mean, the second day that there where everyone was giving Davey crap about having him in the lineup, he had the two doubles. And I think 
if he can get hot, he has the bat. He can carry the Nats down the stretch. So um, it's going to be tough for Davey because Adams has just been so good this year. I think if he hadn't gotten hurt, he'd be an all-star. But at the same time, Zim needs the at-bats in order to get hot. And so, I don't know, it's, it's a tough position. And then especially with the way Soto is playing, I mean, if you maybe had a hole in the outfield, you could put Adams in left field. But, I mean, they're having a hard enough time just getting Taylor in there. So I don't think they're even going to consider putting Adams in the outfield. Yeah, it's a it's a strange one. I think I can understand him playing Zimmerman a couple of times. I assume he wanted to get him in against Newcomb in the Brave series, but obviously that got rained out. Uh, and I think I said coming into it, I would have liked to see Zimmerman play on that Tuesday. I don't I don't know about uh, Friday because I think Shasin had quite drastic lefty righty splits, but then Guerras were quite neutral, and we saw the results from that on Tuesday. What do you reckon of him hitting fourth in the lineup though, with all these? Uh, you don't have many hot hitters at the moment, so it's interesting that you put him in there. Yeah, I think that's a spot where he can succeed down the line, but right now, just coming off the DL and having not played in so long, I probably wouldn't put him right into the heart of the order. Yeah, I I think I would have liked to see him kind of sixth, maybe mopping up, and then if you get something out of him, great. But hitting him fourth, and like I said, you haven't got many hot hitters. You've got, say, Rendon, Soto, Eaton, and then it gets a bit iffy with a few slumping people like Harper and Trey. Right, yeah. I mean, Harper and Trey have shown that they can be great players, but, I mean, they're just so inconsistent this year. And even Harper, he's looked better since the break, but, I mean, I think in five games he has eight strikeouts. So, I mean, the strikeouts have kind of been a problem all year. He hit the homer today. He hit the homer the other day when the – this was Sunday when they had the two rain delays. So, I mean, the potential is there, but he's just got to – be more consistent in my opinion hmm. uh and going back to trey turner obviously the big incident on monday where he bunted it in the fourth inning kind of turned around started slamming some of his equipment uh what did you make of that whole incident and the reaction of benching him on tuesday yeah i thought that was really uncharacteristic from him because as we saw the very next morning he was named the nationals heart and hustle nominee <laughs> So, I mean, I think he's a guy that does hustle a lot, but he's kind of been slumping a little bit, probably let his frustration get the best of him. And um, if I were Davey, I probably would have taken him out right there, but I did like that he sat the next game. Yeah, I think you, you had to do something. Like, it wasn't even a move to first. If he'd have, like, jogged it out, like, just a, a routine bunt that the pitch should have easily handled. I don't, I don't mind that if it's that routine. You don't need to go 100% every single play. Um, and like you say, it's completely uncharacteristic. He won the heart and hustle. Uh, not the only team to have a controversial uh, choice with the Yankees and uh, that whole situation. But uh, yeah, I think it, it's kind of a multitude of things like that one at bat where he bunted it, didn't get it cleanly. And last seven days, he's hitting just 154. And kind of early on in the season, he was carrying the team and probably should have been an all-star. Um, do you think this is just a a slump and what do you do about it? You can't bench him for the long term. Yeah, I think it's just a slump and he'll work his way out of it. I mean, he's been kind of streaky his whole career. He had the great rookie campaign and then um, last year he's playing pretty well. He had the injury. He came back and it wasn't exactly lighting it up. So, I mean, I think he's a streaky hitter at this point in his career. You got to remember he is still really young. I think he's only 23, maybe just turned 24. So he's pretty young still. Um, I think he'll work his way out of it. But 
I really like Eaton at the top of the order. So maybe Trey stays down in like the seven spot where he's been hitting recently with uh, Eaton re- really hot at the top. Yeah, you could even hit him nine and have him as a second leadoff here. Yeah, we saw that work with Defoe a lot earlier this year. And with Trey's speed, uh, if you get him on and the steal a base and Eaton hits him in, I mean, that could be a game changer. Yeah, definitely. Uh, one other point. Uh, Kelvin Herrera continues to look a hell of a lot better. He's gone four scoreless innings, had a couple, albeit it was one-third of an inning today. Uh what did you see from Herrera? It looks like he's improving and definitely read my article on how to improve. Yeah, I think his control has been a lot better and the velo is there, which it wasn't quite there when he first came to the Nets. I saw on Sunday he struck out Inciarte on three pitches. It was 98, 98, and 99. So, I mean, that was really encouraging. Um, I think maybe it was just taking him a little while to settle in with the Nets. He had been with the Royals his whole career. We saw the interview right after he'd been traded and he seemed really shaken up about it. He's coming to the Nats where before Doolittle got hurt, he was in a different role as a setup man. So I think it was just taking him a little while to settle in and hopefully now um, we'll have a dominant Kelvin Herrera for the rest of the year. Yeah. And especially with Doolittle now looking like he's going to be out for weeks, not a matter of days having Herrera there to mop up at the back end. Didn't he get, he got a five in, not five in, in a five out save over the weekend. So having that, flexibility because we saw Sean Doolittle do that a couple times as well right yeah and as many dominant relievers the Nationals have to use in the late innings the better with the starting rotation kind of scuffling a little bit yeah uh so now we're going to look ahead to the upcoming series with the Miami Marlins so far they're 44 and 59 uh one place above the Mets thankfully uh we've still got that little uh joke over them but (laughs) worst ERA in the National League third least run scored it's not that surprising that they're doing this poorly given how they came into the season, is it? Uh, no, I think they've actually kind of exceeded expectations, which is hard to say considering the season that they've had. But um, yeah, it's, it's just kind of a rough time to be the Marlins. But I mean, maybe they traded for guys like Lewis Brinson and they'll turn it around a few years. Uh, so in the last series against the Atlanta Braves, just a brief two-game set, they got uh, Tonk 12-1 to in the opener with Freddie Freeman continuing his assault on the NL East. And then the Marlins did steal one on Tuesday. JT, Real Muto and Stalin Castro hit home runs 9-3. Obviously, probably helps the Nets keeping uh, the Braves in 500 in that series. Uh, are there any players that you're keen to watch in this series? Um, I think Dan Sterilli, he's starting, I believe, tomorrow against Steven Strasburg. And then, obviously, JT Realmuto is always a big piece for them. So I think those two are uh, the two big Marlins in this series. Yeah, I think Realmuto is definitely top. Whether the Nats actually trade for him is another matter. But uh, Realmuto, 19th in the majors in war, despite missing the first couple of weeks. And he, uh, he was kind of a top 10 type catcher last season but he's really taken that next step this year yeah i don't know if i would say that he's the top catcher in the league but i know you could definitely make an argument for him and so yeah the marlins uh the asking price on him is understandably very high but i guess we'll see how that shakes out the next week yeah um i think uh i might be making a niche reference but brian clough used to say I don't think I'm the top manager, but I'm in the top one or something along those lines. Uh, It's very niche. But yeah, um, I agree with Dan Strader. That would be a really interesting one. He's kind of looking like the Tanner Roark of old, basically, coming in with six innings, two runs, three runs, and 
it's going to be interesting facing off against Strasbourg. We'll obviously dive into the matchups in a bit. Um, is he someone that potentially, if the Nets do decide to deal Robles for Real Muto, that you would like to see included in that deal? Yeah, I would love to see Strelia with the Nets. I know he's not really an ace type, but I think he's a solid middle rotation starter. He's He had a great July um, so far. Uh, yeah, I think he's controllable too. I believe it's this year and two more, or at think, least one more. Think, yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, he's controllable. He would be more than a rental, and he's a solid middle rotation starter. So yeah, I would love to see him. I'm not sure if it'll happen, but um, I think he's definitely worth considering. Do you think that Real Muto deal is going to happen? I think right now, well, do you think it's going to happen A, before the trade deadline and B, potentially in the offseason? I think the offseason is more likely, but unless the Marlins lower their asking price, I don't think he's going to get traded anytime soon. Yeah, I think there were, there were some murmurs coming out about Victor Robles. I would be stunned if they dealt him before the deadline and probably... Beyond, I think he's going to be the centre fielder of the future. We've seen um, we've seen the defence uh, in the majors and in spring training. So uh, I think if it gets to the off season, then maybe you're talking about if Real Muto doesn't extend his contract with the Marlins, maybe you can get him for say Kakiboom or Seth Romero, something along those lines. Would that be something that then you could see working out? Yeah, I would love that, but yeah, I think um, Robles and obviously Soto, we've seen what he's doing. I wouldn't trade them for anything at this point. Mm. Uh, are there any nationals that you're kind of keen to see or uh, want to see some improvement from potentially? Um, I want to see Strauss again because, I mean, he had the shaky start, his first start back, and then that little dust-up in the dugout with Scherzer. like to see him kind of improve upon that a little bit. And then maybe just uh, a few more games from Ryan Zimmerman and see him kind of um, get back into the swing of things coming off the disabled list. Yeah, I think um, we touched on the person facing him, Straley. If Strasbourg feels like he's either going to absolutely flat out dominate them or come back with another iffy start, and that's kind of going to be the, the swing point in that game. Right. Yeah. And um, I know a few of the Marlins actually have pretty good numbers against him. And uh, for Straley, the Nationals have historically struggled against him. So that'll be an interesting matchup for sure. I think one other hitter that I'm keen to see is Spencer Keeboom, who's actually been hitting quite well, uh, 269 in the last 30 days. And with a four-game set, do you think we could see him a couple times this series? I hope so. I've really liked what I've seen from Keeboom. And when he first came up, I wasn't really expecting a whole lot. But um, I think he's established himself as a solid backup to Matt Wieters, and I hope to see him at least once this series. Yeah, he's definitely not, he's not setting the world alight, but as a backup, if you're hitting in the mid-200s, kind of drawing some walks as well, which I've been quite impressed by, then he's definitely doing better than Severino was with the bat. We'll put it that way. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, and like you said, I want to see how that playing time between Zimmerman and Adams is going to play out. I think they've got Trevor Richards on Saturday, who's a lefty, so maybe Zim comes in then. Um, I assume the the analytics guys at the Nets will know who has the best uh, best other matchup, but maybe you get Zimmerman twice, Adams twice. Uh, but outside of that, you have Mark Reynolds falling out of falling out of favour. Um, how do you see that playing out? Because obviously he's not going to get any regular starts at this point. Yeah, I think at this point, he's really just a bench bat. I know I saw on Twitter, I think it was Chelsea James put it out that he was working at second base and third base in BP. So 
I mean, maybe we could see him spell an infielder here and there, but I think he's really just a bench bat at this point. Yeah, I don't want to sign up for watching him at second base. If you have uh, have some kind of split between Murphy and Reynolds, that's pretty terrifying. Yeah, I'd rather just see that kind of in a pinch, maybe extra innings, someone gets hurt, he goes in. But yeah, I wouldn't want to see him starting a game at second base. Well, now we've got Michael Taylor, super infielder, who can play third and first base. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I guess the the more versatility, the better. Yeah, I was, I was stunned when, when he went to first base. I know he's a former shortstop, but he was looking at that first base bit like it was completely alien. Yeah, I think I was thinking about it, and I would have rather seen Juan Soto there at first base because I know he worked there a little bit in the minors, and then you'd have Michael Taylor with the better arm in the outfield. But, I mean, I guess hindsight's twenty twenty, and you can only do so much in that situation with the bases loaded and no outs. Yeah, I don't think the range matters so much in that situation, but the arm definitely does. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to look ahead to each matchup individually. First up, we've got Strasbourg and Dan Straley facing off on Thursday at 7.10 p.m. Strasbourg 6-7 and seven with a 3.90 ERA. Straley 4-4 four and four with a 4.02 ERA. We've talked about it a little bit before, but how do you see this game playing out? Um, I like the natural chances in that. I think Strasbourg's going to have a better start with his being a second start off the disabled list and Maybe a little bit of distraction for Straley with his name being floated around. This is possibly his last start in a Marlins uniform. But um, as we said earlier, he has been really good lately. So I think that'll be a good matchup, but I like the Nets' chances. Yeah. Um, I think Strasburg fares quite well against the Marlins in his career. 16-7 and seven with a 3.04 ERA and 29 career starts. I think it's the team he's faced the most. Uh, but Straley's on a bit of a roll lately, 2-4-2. Last four starts, getting into a bit of a groove. But like you say, maybe a little bit sidetracked. I think most of the Marlins will be a little bit sidetracked. Um, and it feels like a game that the Nats have to go and win if they want to get back into this NL East and wildcard discussion. Right, yeah. If they're playing teams like the Marlins, you really have to beat up on those kind of lesser opponents if you're going to get back into it. Yeah, I think you, you have to win three or four. And obviously with Gio Gonzalez struggling and going on Saturday, Having the Strasbourg start, that's one that you have to start to win. Hopefully, he can keep that trend going. I think he's got, um, I think last year he had like a 189 ERA in August and September. So, hopefully, we'll start to see that Strasbourg coming back. Right. And uh, maybe two wins in a row. That's a nice little winning streak going. So, that'd be nice. <laughs> About as long as we get this season. <laughs> hey, it's a start. So. Uh, so second up, we've got Max Scherzer facing off against Pablo Lopez on Friday at 7.10. Max Scherzer, 13-5, 2-4-3 ERA. Pablo Lopez, 2-1 with a 5.09 ERA. Max Scherzer, last 30 days, 3.55 ERA. So I wonder if you can confirm the rumors. Is he human? I believe he is. I believe that's what I'm hearing so far. 3.55 <laughs> is just, uh, I don't know, sky high for Max Scherzer. Yeah, I think he's maybe fatiguing a little bit. I mean, he's been used a lot this season. Um, he's aging. He's turning, I think, 34 later this year. Um, so, I mean, hopefully he can turn it around. But, I mean, he's still been pretty good. It's just not what we're used to from him. And I know he's only given up four earned runs twice this year, and both of those starts were against the Marlins. So, it's like maybe they have his number a little bit. You don't really want to say they have his number because he's still been pretty good. but. Uh, yeah, they've been one of his tougher opponents this year. 
Yeah, of all the teams, it's the Marlins that have scored four against him. Yeah, yeah, he's talked a little bit about the teams in the division just because they see him so often, and it's tough to kind of keep giving them new looks. So maybe that's what's going on just because he's facing them a few times every year. But, yeah, it it is a a bit bizarre with the Marlins having the season that they're having and they're able to do so well against Max Scherzer. And then facing off against him, you've got Pablo Lopez. You may remember him because he gave up five runs in five innings when the Nats had that miraculous 10-run comeback, probably the, the a game in the long list of games that we've thought, oh, this will finally be the turning point. So is there finally going to be the actual turning point coming up, potentially? I hope so. I mean, they've got everyone back right now except for Sean Doolittle and I mean, Cody Glover's working his way back, and maybe we see Joe Ross back. But, I mean, for the most part, they have the whole gang back together. So, I mean, hopefully they can start reeling off a few wins. I think the team is definitely talented enough to go on a run and maybe win 10 in a row or 9 and 10. So, um, it should be a fun second half, I'm hoping. Hmm. So, yeah, this, uh, this matchup seems a bit lopsided. Have you got Pablo Lopez absolutely dominating the Nets? No, no. Um, he looked pretty good against them the first time, the first couple times through the order, but just because they'd never seen him before. But then, obviously, they started to hit him, uh, and that started the big comeback. So it's the second time they've seen him. I think they're going to uh, continue hitting him pretty well. Yeah, I don't think we can disagree there. I think a- anyone who's sane will probably pick Max Scherzer in that matchup. Mm-hmm. Uh Third game of the series, Gio Gonzalez face off against Trevor Richards on Saturday at 7.10 p.m. More evening weekend games. Gio Gonzalez 6-7 with a 3.94 ERA. Trevor Richards 3-5 with a 4-4-1 ERA. And I think this is the game to watch this series because it's going to tell you a lot about the Nats. It's going to, assuming the first two games go as you'd expect, obviously Thursday isn't any kind of done deal. Um, but with Gio Gonzalez struggling... How do you see this one going? It's definitely a tough one to predict. Yeah, I think that one is definitely the wild card. Um, but Gio historically has pitched pretty well against the Marlins, especially in Miami. Um, we remember he had the near no hitter there last year. And so I'm hoping he can turn it around. But, I mean, he's a little tough to watch at times. But if you look at his numbers, he hasn't really been that bad. I mean, he's got a 3.94 ERA, if I'm not mistaken. And aside from that really bad start in Tampa Bay and a few bad starts here and there, he's, the results have been, I guess, okay. Yeah, he didn't look too bad against the Brewers to start off with. And then when he came out, it just snowballed with the bullpen, allowing those uh, those uh, stranded runners in. Right, yeah. I mean, hopefully he can kind of channel a little Tanner Roark and start to turn it around because I think he's another guy where they really need him pitching like he's capable down the stretch if they're going to get back into this. Yeah, and it's still realistic because, again, you've got Strasburg, Scherzer, and Hellickson pitching the way he is, pitching like a proper number three. You don't need Gio Gonzalez or Tanner up to go that. You talked about it before. They just need to keep the team in the game. Yeah, and I really like Gio as kind of a five-and-fly kind of guy. We're just give you five innings, maybe two, three runs, get him out of there, and hope the offense can come through for a few runs. So I think if he can give them that, uh, they have a good chance to win that game. Yeah, and you got Max Scherzer going the previous day, so hopefully the bullpen's nice and rested. Right, yeah, it usually is with a Scherzer start, but I guess you never know with the way this season has gone so far. <laughs> uh, and then Trevor Richards, last time he faced the Nats, he went 
three and two thirds gave up two runs, but Pizarri seven walks. Is that going to be the the trick again? The Nats are still up there with the league leaders in walks. Yeah, it seems like that's kind of been a good recipe for success. Obviously, if you get base runners on, it usually leads to good things, especially with walks. So um, hopefully if the walks are there again, they can make them pay and uh, they're not stranding guys like they've tended to do a little bit this year. But yeah, I mean, if if Richards is walking guys, they really got to make him pay for it again uh, in this series. Yeah, I wouldn't mind another lineup like today, seven runs on four hits. What do they have? Like <laughs> five walks and a couple hit by pitches. Yeah, I mean, walks and a few timely hits, that'll, that'll get it done. So hopefully they can uh, keep that up. Basically the anti-Nats. We're used to them scoring like two runs on 10 hits. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I prefer the seven runs on four hits for sure. <laughs> uh, so how do you see this one playing out? Are you leaning towards the Nats or the Marlins? Um, I'm leaning towards the Nats, but I could really see that one going either way. I think um, if the Nats were going to lose one, that would be the one. Yeah, I definitely agree. And it's all going to come down to Gio Gonzalez. You talked about his great numbers against Miami, 10-3 and three with a 1-9-3 ERA uh, in his career. That's not bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think he's from around that area, I believe. So right, yeah. Knows, maybe, yeah, maybe enjoys pitching in the heat. But uh, I hate predicting sweeps, but I think I'm going to go with Gio in this one and set myself up to predict the sweep. Yeah, I mean, it's the Marlins, so I think... I think we're allowed to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last up on Sunday, we've got Jeremy Hellickson facing off against Jose Arrania on Sunday at 1.10 p.m. Hellickson, 4-1 with a 3-4-4 ERA. Jose Arrania, 2-10 with a 4-6-3 RA. And we, we mentioned Pablo Lopez earlier on. Jeremy Hellickson, obviously, starting that comeback, comeback game a bit under the weather, but he looked a lot more like his old self against the Brewers. Right, yeah, Hellickson struggled against Miami last time, but I think it really was just because he was sick. I don't think it was Miami had his number or anything, so I'm expecting a much better start for him this time. Yeah, definitely. I've still uh, maintained that we, we've been really impressed with him going two and a half, nearly three times through the order now. He's kind of creeping up there in terms of how far he's going through the order. Um, do you expect them to still keep that cut, that hard stop around there? Um, yeah, sometimes I'd like to see them give him a little bit of a longer leash, and then sometimes they do, and it backfires. I think it, they really just have to gauge it start by start on how he's looking. I think sometimes if he's like uh, through twice through the order and he's only at like what 50 pitches, maybe you don't pull him, but um, if he's starting to struggle a little bit coming uh, second time through the order, I'd definitely pull him. So I think you really just have to gauge it start by start. Yeah, I think it usually depends on kind of how big a lead the Nets have got. So when they tried to push him a little bit against the Brewers, and obviously Yanich hit the home run, I think there were three runs up. So they gave him a little bit of leeway. And it's one thing that kind of allowed it to be a hard stop early on. They were only leading by one or two runs during those starts. Yeah, yeah, it's tricky. I mean, if the analytics tell you pull him a second time through the order, but I think sometimes you just kind of have to use your instincts and uh, just really go based on what he's done and how the opposing team has looked against him on that given day. Mm. And then obviously Jose Arrania with the strange Tanero Arquez stat line, 2-10 and ten with a not terrible 4-6-3 RA. Um, but kind of, I guess similar to the first game, Strasbourg v. Straley, if you want to win the series and get back into this again, it's another start that you need to take advantage of against Arrania. 
Right. Yeah. Urania was their opening day starter, but he's far from an ace. So I think, um, yeah, the Nationals can definitely put up some runs against him. And with what Hellickson's throwing, I like the Nationals' chances in that game as well. Yeah, his uh, him giving up the home run put me first in my fantasy league for like two minutes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and Ian Hat. Um, so, yeah, are you going to lean with the Nationals on this one again? Yes. Sweet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the Nationals have really dominated Miami uh, over the last couple of years. I. I'm thinking that's going to continue during this series. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think this is only the second time I predicted a sweep. Last time, I think it was against the Padres, and they took two or three. Um, but kind of coming back to it as a series as a whole, what do you see um, kind of the implications of this series going towards the trade deadline? If they, uh, if they lose, say, two or three maybe, do you see them selling? Um, I don't know that I see them selling, maybe just not buying and just kind of staying put. But I think if they if they go out and play really well against Miami, maybe that gives Mike Rizzo a little extra leverage to go out and make a trade or two. Yeah, because this is the last um, – I think these are the last games before the trade deadline. I think it's at 4 o'clock Eastern on the Tuesday before they play another game. So this is the last chance that the team has to – kind of make a statement to Rizzo, if anything, and say, right, go and get us another couple couple rentals, maybe a, a player with a few years on their contract. Um, who who would you see coming in? Do you see that rental type? I think J.A. Haps going away, uh, being dealt today, probably not to the Nationals, but could you see them going to get another rental starter maybe? Um, maybe, but I think that's tough because, I mean, if you look at the rotation, obviously you're not going to replace Scherzer or Strasburg. Then Hellickson's pitched pretty well. Um, Rorick looked really good today, and you're hoping that, I mean, he's probably not going to go eight shutout innings every time, but you're hoping he's going to start pitching well again. And then, so I think Gia would be the guy to go, if anyone, but at the same time, he's pitched, like, decent too. So, I mean, I could see them going out to get a starter, but I don't know who you take out of the rotation is the problem. Yeah, I feel like if you're going to go get a star, it's going to be one for... A few years. I personally would love to see them go get Chris Archer. Then you're starting to fill in that hole for Gio or Helixson further down the line, and you don't necessarily need to worry about who you're bumping from the rotation this year. I, I don't know if Tanner Roark has options. I don't think he's gone down since he got called up, but uh, yeah, I think he does have an option. So that might be one way to kind of keep Tanner working on those mechanics, but say, look, you're going to come back up. It's just. Um, just while we've got Archer there. Yeah, and I would love a long man in the bullpen as well. So maybe if you trade for a starter, you put a guy like Roark in the bullpen as a guy that can go a few innings if needed. Yeah. Uh, and I guess the other main need is a catcher. What would you like to see and what do you think they'll do? Um, I think that's kind of tricky too because um, I don't think they're going to get Real Muto with the Marlins asking price on that. And then the other two guys that we've kind of heard linked to the Nats Wilson Ramos and Francisco Cervelli are both on the disabled list right now. So I don't know what other catchers would really be available. I would love a guy like AJ Ellis from San Diego. I think he'd be a solid backup and nice veteran presence in the clubhouse, maybe kind of aid things as they uh, try to make the playoff push. But I mean, I don't know that they're going to make a big splash as far as catcher is concerned. Yeah. I, 
I agree with you on Real Muto, and I think especially with the pirate, the way the Pirates are playing, I think they've won 11, 12 in a row now. It's like I don't think they're going to deal from there and hope they can sneak into the wildcard race. So if they go after anyone, it'll be Ramos. And I think those talks have picked up again while Ramos recovers, but obviously he's going to be out for like the first week of August. So it's a bit tricky around that. Yeah. I mean, maybe we see Ramos come in on a waiver deals after the deadline, but um, yeah, I don't know. Weeders has been hitting the ball hard lately, so maybe they just stick with him, but yeah, it's tricky just, because there aren't a whole lot of great catchers available. Yeah, in an ideal world, again, you want someone with multiple years of control that you don't have to sell Victor Robles for. <laughs> right. Yeah, so maybe we see them go out and get Real Muto in the offseason if the Marlins lower their asking price. But, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any way they get Real Muto now. Hmm. Uh, so the last point um, around the trade deadline, Bryce Harper, what do you think – happens there again you talked about not selling if they drop drop like two or three games uh do you see zero chance of harper going anywhere because i heard uh mike rizzo i think it was on 1067 the fan not categorically denying it and kind of leaving the door open yeah i wouldn't say zero percent chance that he's traded just because you never know with mike rizzo but i think it's a very low chance that he gets traded because i mean um I don't know that you want to damage that relationship just for a prospect because with Manny Machado has obviously had a much better year than Harper and he didn't really bring in any great prospects. So I don't know what the Nationals could realistically get for Harper now. And so I, I don't think you damage that relationship, even though if it were up to me, I would let him walk at the end of the year anyways. But I think they hold on to him now. Yeah, I think if you're Mike Rizzo, you're still thinking, I've got a really good chance of re-signing Harper. So why would you kind of allow or get that marginal, like very, very marginal? Because we're talking, if he gets a qualifying offer, which I assume he will, although he may he may well accept that qualifying offer, you get a pick after the second or third rounds. And uh, with, like you said, with the Orioles, they got, I think it was the 84th ranked prospect, according to MLB.com. Like, it's not a lot. And having a better year than Harper, playing a more premium position than Harper, would Harper even get a top 100 prospect? Yeah, I don't think so at this point. Mm. So yeah, I, I think I talked about all these reasons, and I'm in the I'm in the re-sign Harper camp. It's really interesting how it's kind of split, especially after the last couple of years and the emergence of Soto and Robles. Um, but yeah, you don't want to risk damaging that relationship for the marginal upgrade. Right. Yeah. And- um, I think just because you mentioned that you'd like to re-sign Harper and uh, maybe we get into that a little bit. I think just with the emergence of Soto and Robles, like you said, and the way Eaton's playing, I think personally I would much rather kind of give that mon- the Harper money, kind of lock up a guy like Rendon who his contract is up after next year, maybe sign a starter in the offseason because Gio and Helixson are expiring. But, I mean, I don't envy Mike Rizzo in there. That's definitely going to be a big franchise-changing move regardless of what they do. Yeah, you're going to either have to make a, a big trade or let a five-time All-Star walk, which is not, not easy. And again, my uh, under-the-radar, very sizzling hot take, which is why you should never let me be a GM of a major league team, is to trade Adam Eaton in the offseason. But again, like it's not a massive loss if you don't do that. Let Harper walk and see what happens. 
Right. Or maybe they even uh, re-sign Harper and move him to first base or something, or move Soto to first base and you get rid of the outfield logjam that way. So it'll be definitely be interesting to see what happens. Oh, no, remember, Harper only moved to first base for the Yankees. They won't do it for professionals. I want to say thanks to Drew for joining us today. So now you're no longer at District on Deck and uh, under my rule. Where can our listeners find you? Um, I'm writing for Call to the Pen right now, so still in the fan-sided network, but uh, writing about Major League Baseball at a whole or as a whole. Yeah, I'm sure you're going to have a lot of fun with the trade deadline coming up. Oh, yeah. I don't know that the Nats will do a whole lot, but I expect a busy trade deadline, even though a few of the big names have already gone. It should still be a fun day. Got it. Last one. What's your bold prediction for the deadline? Is there going to be a big name moving? Um, I think maybe Archer would be the biggest name to move. But, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, Manny Machado already went. Uh, Brad Hand already went. We've seen Jay Happ, who's been one of the big starters. He's probably going to go maybe by the end of the night. So, yeah, I mean, I think it'll be a quieter deadline than in previous years. But maybe we see a guy like Archer get traded finally. Hmm. Remember to check out some of our content on the site this week. I looked at why Matt Adams should be getting the lion's share of starts at first base. We talked about it a little bit on this podcast. And obviously, we're less than a week away from the trade deadline now. We have plenty of coverage around the Nats rumors. Uh, The latest ones link them with Cole Hamels and Kevin Gosman as they try to get that rotation upgrade. Remember to follow us on Twitter at District on Deck. Give us a like on Facebook, District on Deck. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spreaker. The list is getting longer. Uh, We can get our episodes automatically downloaded, ready for you to listen to. We'll be back over the weekend with uh, the trade deadline just a day away, uh, and the Nats will be gearing up to face the Mets again. If they come out of this series well, then the Mets series is going to be even bigger. So we'll see you then. 